We're going to be continuing a study in the book of Proverbs, and we're going to start in Proverbs chapter 23. And as you're turning there in your Bible or on your phone, uh, let me explain to you how we, at least how I came to focus on this particular proverb uh, for our morning this morning. It, it actually happened while in New York. So me and the family, one week ago today at the tail end of our trip, had a little bit of time in New York City. And New York City uh, is a it's, a, it's a bit disorienting to say the least. It is vast just in its size. Um, for those of you who've never been, it's, it's much bigger than downtown Boise, just <laughs> to put it lightly. Um, it's also disorienting in just the, the vast amount of humanity and all of the different things that you're going you're gonna to take in when you go to New York City. In fact, as I was listening for the invitation to go to Vacation Bible School, I realized I kind of went on Vacation Bible School with my kids driving up in, or not driving, but riding the subways all around New York City. And it seems like every subway stop was a new lesson about the Bible and people for my kids as they just absorbed it all. My wife and I were very excited to go see the sites and the museums. And it seems like my, my kids' most memorable times was just watching the, the chaos of New York, specifically on the subways. And it was disorienting, not only in its vastness, but also just in how insignificant it can make all of this feel. You go to New York City and all of a sudden you just wonder what in, on earth, who am I here, what am I doing? And you look out and you see all of the headlines of our culture just walking the streets in every category of people and the seemingly, you know, the tension that we live in in our, in our modern times. And there was one specific moment where uh, I was watching one of my daughter's take a $10 pretzel and start feeding it to the, to the pigeons. <laughs> and I'm sitting on the steps of the New York City Public Library, and I'm just watching humanity in, in the hustle, in the bustle, in the arguments, in the pursuits, in all of the, the ways that you can just observe. And the disorientation and this insignificance uh, just began to fall on me. And then I looked up, and I want to share a photo with you. This is right out front in the New York City Library. It's actually a statue of Plato. And it's a quote from Plato from thousands of years ago that says, But above all things, truth beareth away the victory. And it, it was a moment where I realized that People come and go, and cultures come and go, and tension comes and go, and there is this thousand-year-old piece of wisdom that exceeds it all and says, above everything else, the one thing that will lead to victory or success or any st life-standing value is truth. And coming from Plato, I, I, I absorbed it lightly, and then I thought about what we've been doing as a church. We've been studying God's word, and specifically areas where his truth is revealed in the book of Proverbs, and it led me to Proverbs chapter 23, verse 23. And we're going to take this quote from Plato and realize that it is true according to the way that it lines up with God's word by looking at this proverb. It says this, buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction 
and understanding. And our series was called Instruction for Life. And what we've been doing week by week is looking for the ways that this is practically lived out in our lives. How does knowing the truth, acquiring the truth, and living in the truth lead way or beareth the way to victory? And that's what we're going to talk about today. The importance of knowing what is true. And I assure you, you do not have to go to New York City to sometimes feel the disorientation of the times that we live in, and you don't have to just look out to culture, all of us at certain times in our lives, some of us right now, should be asking the questions about how to actually find the center of your life, how to get answers to the questions of your soul, how to find a point of navigation that would lead you towards a path of success. And today we're going to look at the answer as the fundamental, above all else, the primary thing that we need for the times we live in and the times that you occupy this earth is the pursuit of what is true. And so we start with that very question. What is true? I share with you what has been called the anthem of our times in the, uh, in, in the concept of relativism. It says, there is no right, there is no wrong, truth is subjective, and reality is perspective. Meaning, uh, the, the, the way this sermon actually unfolds in each one of your minds and hearts is dependent on you. How do you feel about the truth? How do you want to navigate the truth according to you? and your own subjective perspective. And this is called the anthem of our times because this is, in fact, the times that we live in. It's been said we live in a post-Christian culture, and that's because Christianity is clearly in decline as far as how many people follow Christ and walk in the ways that Christ would call you to walk in and attend any kind of gathering that would build up a faith in Christ. But I think it's more appropriate to say that we live in a post-truth culture. We are now living in times where truth itself, not just the idea of revealed truth through God's word, but just the concept of truth has become so subjective and so relative that it's become nothing. That everyone is on their own individual pursuits and we have no ground on which we can stand to get to any kind of answer. I heard one Indian preacher uh, give a response to a relativistic view of God and religion. And he said, if you actually believe that there's no right and no wrong and no truth, I invite you to come drive in India. And for those of you who have visited India, you know where the invitation is leading you. He says, in America, you drive on the right side. In England, you drive on the left side. In India, you drive where there's shade. Everyone just drives wherever they want. And even with that example, there is some remblance of a law that keeps you confined to some sort of structure by which cars are not chaotically running into each other. But it is a picture of what happens when there is no lane to drive the pursuit of truth through. And it is almost as though we live in a time where we are on the Indian superhighway of chaotic pursuits. And none of us have any ground to stand on to actually determine what is true. So the most important thing that we start with is a belief that truth exists. A more common definition 
that until about 10 years ago would have been accepted as a ground or starting point would be that truth is that which corresponds to reality. That there is, in fact, a reality that truth is lining up with. And in terms of spiritual truth, we have to go deeper into God's word to understand what that means. But none of us here today will get very far arguing that there is a natural law to reality. For the students that are studying any kind of vocation, engineering, or mathematics, or medicine, you are walking down a commitment to truth, that there is a certain law to the way that all of those vocations work. There is, in fact, a temperature at which water boils. And there is a temperature at which water freezes. And if you jump off a building at a certain height, the law of gravity will remind you very quickly that it doesn't matter whether you believe in it or not, it's real. And you will be introduced to the concrete. So we still live within a submission to the law of nature. In fact, as a father, I feel like it is my job to be a preacher, not only in this context, in the spiritual law, but also the law of nature all the time to my children. I just went through the law of nature to one of my daughters that if you step on a lit firework, it will in fact burn your foot because fire burns at a certain heat that will feel uncomfortable and it cause you damage. I had to go through the law of nature that if you jump into water and you don't know how to swim, you will in fact die. And thank God my wife a few days ago saw my Youngest son, test the law of nature, jump in after him, pull him out, and remind him not to play with the law of nature that humans need oxygen and you can't breathe it in water. And yet there is a spiritual reality that we have put into the camp of relativism. Nature does not allow you to deny its existence with the laws of nature. But with the spiritual laws, the laws that the Proverbs are getting at. The Proverbs are not a book or a collection of math problems or science equations. The Proverbs are a collection of wise sayings that will prove true in your spiritual pursuits of life. And they will also take longer to realize when you get them wrong. The spiritual laws of God are revealed to us through his word and they are absorbed or bought or received by faith that they are just as real as the natural law. Look what it says in Proverbs chapter 30. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. In other words, the word of God is the revealed textbook of spiritual laws. And if you fall outside of what is revealed through his spiritual revelation of the laws of the universe, you will in fact be a liar. You will be living in what the Bible also called unrighteousness or untruth. Jesus will take it a step further. In John chapter 8, he says, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If you abide in my word, you will know the truth and it will set you free. And then right after he reveals the spiritual truth, he then gives the spiritual law. 
Same passage, same context, same conversation. He says in John chapter 8, Jesus answered them and said, Truly, this is truth. This is as real as gravity. I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And the Bible is revealed in truth statements about your spiritual existence. There is a reality to the creation that you live in, and there is a reality to the world that your soul lives in inside of you. Spiritual reality. And the answer to the confusion of our times and the confusion of your life is to believe that truth exists and that God has revealed it to you through the laws of nature and through his written word. And with that belief in some of your hearts and some of your minds, we now ask the question, how do you, re how do you buy it? How do you take the invitation of the Proverbs to say, buy the truth and sell it not? Buying the truth. We re-examine John chapter 8 because in, jo in Jesus' simple statement about the power of truth, he also gives an entire exercise in acquiring or buying the truth. And one thing we don't have to do, it would be an exercise in futility for any preacher to think that we need to explain how commerce works or how you buy things. Uh, there is a human instinct inside every single one of you that is consumeristic. We all are just buyers by nature, aren't we? And unfortunately, you don't have to teach this just to give you know, another reference point to my own time away, anytime you take kids anywhere, they will remind you very quickly that humans want to buy things. I, I, it seems like every day that we were on vacation, I had some sort of battle with one or all of my children about the latest trinket or toy or t-shirt or sweatshirt or postcard or snow cone that they wanted to buy. They're buyers. They want to consume. They want to acquire. They want to take it home with them. And so are you. This morning you woke up. Some of you, before you went to church, you had to give Starbucks your money. After church, you have to give Costco your money. And in church, you're reading all your emails about to get more money to buy more things. And inside of that instinct is something very important. The most important thing that you can buy. The priority of all things that you can acquire in your life above all else the proverb says, it is better to be poor than to be a liar. Truth is the most valuable thing you will acquire in your life. And Jesus gives an exercise into how to buy it or acquire it. He says, first, if you abide in my word. You find Jesus using this word abide all of the time in trying to help people understand how to truly have a relationship that has any kind of lasting power with him. And he uses this word abide, which means to remain and that is, in fact, the power of buying anything. If you buy the toy, you get to take it home with you. If you buy the house, you get to own it and live it in it and occupy it. And when you buy the truth, it is an act of acquisition of ownership. When the Proverbs say buy the truth, it does not say look at the truth, examine the truth, listen to the truth, even agree with the truth. It's saying make this a part of your spiritual life. Abide in the truth, which means none of you have purchased any kind of truth from the time that I've started to talk until now. The only way that you actually abide in the truth is when you leave the invitation, the expectation, the call of the preacher, and there is a moment when the truth is owned in your life. 
when you stand on the truth and you do not sell it. You do not compromise. Then he says, abide in my word. It's interesting that God has revealed himself through a written word. And it's an important qualifier of what it is when we, we mean when we talk about truth. Truth is as objective as a written word. Truth has parameters. Truth has definitions that you can look into and you can understand and you can examine. Truth is actual and, and not false. In other words, truth does not change its mind. Truth does not change. Truth is not speaking out of two sides of its mouth. Truth is not a feeling. It is not a mood. It is not something that you actualize within yourself because you feel like it. Truth is as stained and long-lasting as the word of God, which Isaiah says in chapter 40, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. If it was true a thousand years ago, it is true today. If it is true today, it will be true tomorrow. And this, I hope, is for some of us a glass of cold water for our souls. In this chaotic time that we live in, one of the ways that we feel weary is that the ground underneath our feet just seems shifting all the time. What was true 10 years ago could be blasphemy today, according to our culture. And what we invest our statements of fact and truth in, according to the winds of doctrine in the culture that we live in, could be blasphemy tomorrow. And we are being called to buy the truth as ancient as Plato, as real as gravity, as unchanging as the boiling point of water, the word of God is true and it will never fade away. The good news that you can build your life on something that you do not have to continually update with continued education of what is true tomorrow. And then he says something that's challenging. And this is a challenging message, by the way. It's a challenging message to preach. It's a challenging message to listen to because of the times we live in and because truth is, in fact, very narrow <laughs> in a culture that wants everything to be true and nothing to be a lie. We come and stand and say, truth is narrow. Truth is black and white. And Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth. If you're my disciples, then you will be my disciples indeed. Which means the truth, in fact, requires discipline. I've heard it said that the truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. <laughs> this is second service, so sorry for the kids that remain, but. It's the truth. <laughs> the truth actually requires, for you to buy it, it requires you to be disciplined by it. In the same way I warn my children against the dangers of water, they must listen to the warnings to actually live in that truth. Billy Graham once said that grace is free, but it will cost you your whole life. 
And the similar statement could be said about truth. Truth is, in fact, free. So when we talk about buying the truth, we're not taking, talking about doing a, a second tithe and everyone who wants to continue in the message, now put a little money in the hat and I'll give you some more truth. Truth is free. It's revealed all around us. The truth of God is made known to us through the creation. The word of God is free. Take one if you don't have one. The spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, is free for anyone who asks. The truth is free, but it will cost you discipleship. To actually buy it, to acquire it, to live in it, to abide in it, will require you the discipleship of repentance. Because truth comes into your life and shows you all of the ways that you are not living in the truth. In the first day of all of your salvation, when you believed the word of truth, your salvation, you had to repent from unrighteousness or things that fell outside of the reality of what God had planned for your life. Namely, saving you and sanctifying you and writing your name in the book of heaven. You had gotten it wrong and you repented towards the truth. And that act of repentance has to happen all of the time. The truth will cost you submission. When God's word reveals the truth, it is not revealing an idea. It is revealing a reality that you are called to submit to. The truth will cause you to obey. All, none of you have been smashed by jumping off a three-story building or higher. Thank God. And it is because you submitted and obeyed the law of gravity. And when Jesus says, you want the truth? Be my disciple. He's saying, you have to listen to me. To buy the truth, it means that you obey the truth. R.C. Sproul, in his dissertation on truth, says, we only embrace relativism when objective truth with the truth is a threat to us. And there is no truth more threatening than the truth of the authority of the word of God. Isn't that the truth? We love the idea of subjective truth when it directly interferes with what we want to be true about how we can live our lives. And that's the challenge of the message is that every single one of us are called to not only know the truth, but to buy the truth, abide in the truth, and obey the truth. And finally, Jesus says, you shall know the truth. And the message gets more narrow and more narrow and more narrow the more you listen to Jesus. He says there is the truth. Proverbs say by the truth. This is not one of many ideas or religious pursuits you could be taking part in this morning. According to the word of God, which you are free to reject or receive, there is the truth. There is the revealed word of God. There is the savior of the world. There is the plan for redemption. There is the gospel. There is the holy gathering of the saints. There is the sacrament of communion that we take together. And all of these things fall under God's design for revealed reality in the truth. Here's what Francis Schaeffer says. Christianity is not a series of truths in plural, but rather truth spelled with a capital T, truth about total reality 
not just about religious things, and the intellectual holding of the total truth and the living in the light of that truth. Jesus says, if you abide in the word, you become a disciple of the truth. The truth has the power to set you free. And that is the gospel. That is the good news of the reality of God's creative world. That there is a spiritual reality that knowing the truth of that reality has the power to bring freedom to your mind and to your heart and to your soul and to your destiny with God. And because of the power of truth, the power to set you free from worry and fear and anxiety and condemnation and separation from God and people and a life lacking of purpose, truth comes and brings you freedom. The proverb says, don't ever sell it. Don't ever compromise this truth. Don't ever acquire it and turn it back in. And so now we think about the concept of not selling the truth. And, and for some, the easiest entry point into the pursuit of truth might simply be the concept of not selling the truth. In fact, if you, uh, I saw some of you at the Jordan Peterson conversation that he had, he, philosopher of our day, wrote a book called 12 Rules for Life. And one of his rules to live by is to tell the truth or at least don't lie. Here's the idea, the truth that we're all pursuing in all the different areas of the natural world and the theological understanding, it can be sometimes hard to really get down to the bottom of the truth. So in your pursuits and in your waiting on revelation and your pursuit of God, there's something you can practice all the time. In your pursuit of truth, you can practice not lying. You can practice being a light in the world that God has placed you in. In fact, we now come to another proverb in the exaltation of truth this morning. It says in Proverbs chapter, uh, ch chapter 13, a righteous man hates lying, but a wicked man is loathsome and comes to shame. Now that is a verse to live by. You want to be righteous? Do you want to live in the right way or in truth? One way you can start that is by hate, a hatred of lying. Now, even in a post-truth culture, most people hate when they're lied to. So you've probably all got that checked off your list. Nobody likes to be lied to when you're buying a car or when you're checking into an Airbnb or when you're trying to just do business with someone or trying to have friends. And, and, and when, when we sniff out a lie that's coming upon us, even in a post-truth world, this culture doesn't appreciate lying. But I love the way that Jesus always begins with how we can exercise a lesson. We don't just hate lying when it comes at us from the culture or from the coworker or from the neighbor. We mostly hate lying when it comes out of us. That's a great place to start in a pursuit of truth. To be someone that lives your life day by day, moment by moment, continually allowing the spirit of truth to stir in you a hatred of your own tendency for lies. I've been practicing a little bit ahead of you, in, at least in this particular verse, 
And I got to tell you, it has been a wonderful exercise that every day brings me back to a commitment to the hatred of lying for all of the practical ways I have to ask myself, is this really true? What I'm about to say, what I'm about to pray, what I'm about to communicate, what I'm about to express to God, am I living in the truth in my hatred of lying? When I think about the hatred of something, to hate it, the person in my life that I know that has given me the best picture of what it looks like to hate is my wife. I'll explain. <laughs> my wife hates flies. Like, and she says it every time she sees one. She, she turns this face towards them and sometimes verbally says, I hate flies. And in her hatred of flies, even observing her this week in our fly season, I had this beautiful picture of what it would look like to have this righteous hatred for something that is annoying. Uh, she, in, in her hatred of flies, our kids come in and they only know the open door. They don't know the closed door yet. <laughs> Your kids are like that. So they open and then leave the door and she's like, close the door immediately before a fly gets in here, a tiny little fly. And she surveys our whole house and all of our windows all the time so that not one tiny fly would come in. And then when she sees the fly, she has acquired an artillery of fly-killing devices that she immediately goes to from the swatter to the salt gun, and she kills flies. And in watching her hate flies, I have a beautiful picture for all of us on what it would look like to hate lies. To not, don't let one inside the door of your heart. Don't let it in. Don't let it in through your ears. Don't let it in through your heart. Don't absorb it from the lies of the culture. And don't let one little lie out of your mouth. And then when you see it, because of course, every single one of you, myself included, are liars. Thanks for coming to church. <laughs> you kill it. You confess it. Uh, my grandpa said, I'm not smart enough to lie because you have to lie so many times to make it work. Don't do that. Keep killing the lie. Keep confessing the sin. Keep dragging it to the light. The righteous man hates lying. The proverb says, buy the truth and sell it not. Pursue the truth and do not lie. And so we'll finish with where we started, the return on the investment. Plato says, if you have truth, it beareth away the victory. Jesus says, truth will set you free. If you buy something in your life, the goal is for that purchase or that acquisition to have a return that was worth the investment. And when you acquire truth and abide in it and live in it, there is a return on the investment of your discipleship and your commitment to it and your ownership of it. Proverbs chapter 12 says, the truthful lip shall be established forever. But a lying tongue is for a moment. And as we continually pin two things against each other in our study through Proverbs, we continually look at outcomes that await every single one of us. And when we are people who buy the truth and sell it not, the word says we, beget, we, we have establishment forever. We align ourselves with the reality of God's creation and God's word that will not fade away. And the warning for all of us 
and the promise that I can preach over the times that we live in is that wherever there is a lie, wherever there is something that falls outside of the reality of God's spiritual law, the design that he has for people to live, the love of neighbor, the building up of a family, the commitment to the mission of God, the the belief and the faith that we put in his word, wherever a culture or a family or a person or a church falls outside of that, it will pass away. Do not fear the lies of our day. Do not cower to the confusion of our times. Do not join in any kind of compromise of the truth. Because as sure as the word is true, it is passing away. And God's reality will prevail as it does from generation to generation to generation. And anyone who builds their life on anything outside of the ways of God is jumping off a high rise and will meet the concrete. It will not last. And so now we consider the exercise, the times that we live in. And I gotta say, I think it's a wonderful time that God has sovereignly placed the generation that we belong to in. In all of the different ways that generations need to be given the gospel, we have been given a generation that needs the gospel with a primary focus on the reality of the truth of God. And that should already be the primary focus of your life. For those of you who believe, I want to remind you of a moment, an interaction that Jesus had with a woman who was living in confused time. She's called the woman at the well. She had uh, relationships that had gone haywire. She had confusion about what she believed in. And Jesus gives her the cup of cold water for her soul. And he says this to her. An hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That is the primary focus that Jesus offers this woman, and that is the focus that he offers us this morning. You want to be a true worshiper of God? The majority of you came here to worship and to sing his praises, and you did so beautifully. But if you want it to be real, then Jesus says you have to do it with truth. And in all of the ways that life can go down different roads and get our pursuits wrong, so can a body of believers. And so can a generation. And we live in a time where a generation of the church has put earthly blessings at the very top of the pursuits. And this is what you should pursue as a believer. It's not what Jesus says. We live in a time where People want to put relationship or community or just church attendance or church engagement. All of these things are fine and good and they will come by the blessings of God. But Jesus is looking for people who want to know what is true and worship God in truth. In the commitment to his word of truth. And to do that, we don't just exalt the Bible we don't just study the Proverbs. We preach and we proclaim and we commit to a level of truth that Plato never dreamed of. Because truth is not just an idea. It is not just a factual statement about how the world works. Truth, in fact, is revealed from heaven above 
through Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus does not leave anyone who takes him seriously with an option to add him to the pantheon of teachers, historical figures, wise sages. Jesus says, my truth will set you free and you only get it from me. He's not just connected to the truth. He's not just aware of the truth. He's not just testifying of the truth. He is, in fact, the truth embodied. The perfect way to live. His words are the perfect way to understand how you were designed for us to be worshipers who worship in spirit and truth, to acquire and abide in the truth, we are people who exalt Jesus above anything in this world. He says that, and you, are, you have found the way and the life and the path to eternity. You will be established forever. It is not a momentary truth. It is the truth that opens heaven for earth. And for those of us who believe that, sell it not. Compromise not. Don't suppress this truth in exchange for a lie. For those of you who related more with the beginning of this sermon than the end, a disorientation for life, a question in confusion, you have been brought to hear a message about the beginning of all truth, a beginning of all purpose, a beginning of the meaning of your life fulfilled. You will not have a commitment to ultimate reality without a commitment to Jesus. And the truth of Christ is that anyone who's burdened or heavy laden, come to me and I will give rest to your soul. The primary truth you need to know today is that God has revealed his plan for your life through Jesus Christ. You have to accept that truth before you get any others. And so wherever you land, in the congregation this morning, we are going to exercise a moment of worship in spirit and in truth. We're going to sing a song, and as we do, the ushers will pass out what Jesus calls a remembrance of him, his body and his blood, a remembrance of him as to why he can say and we can believe that he's the way, the truth, and the life. Because the Bible says, he who knew no sin, no unrighteousness, no falsehood, no lies, no corruption of how he was meant to live, became sin. He took on unrighteousness. He paid the spiritual law that the wages of sin are death. It is as true as gravity. And he took on that death so that sin could be satisfied on his cross. And he rose again three days later so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have life. And it is a truth to build your life on.